uh, we also pray that God's Spirit would be upon us as we hear that Spirit-inspired word this evening. So let's take a moment to pray for that. Father, we can know no good thing apart from your power and your grace. And so we come again tonight asking that your Spirit would be at work in us as we hear your word, as we respond to it, and as it's ministered too, that what might be in the forefront and what's proclaimed and what we receive and how we respond is the glory of your name, along with the Son and the Holy Spirit, the one only God. Direct us, Lord, then in your paths, we pray, by your Spirit, for the sake of Jesus. Amen. We are looking tonight at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And uh, along with that, in the light of God's word, we're going to respond to that, as the church does, with a profession. And we look to the Belgic Confession tonight, one of those to which the Reformed Churches subscribe. And we're looking at Article 11, which is on page 74, a rather small article, but of course dealing with a vast topic, uh, since we're professing and we're talking about the Holy Spirit tonight, and uh, we're taking this portion out of 1 Corinthians 3 as one portion that refers to the Holy Spirit as we consider the focus on his distinction as God the Holy Spirit, but then also his equality with God the Son and God the Father. We pick up then first at the Word of God, as we look at 1 Corinthians 3 and read the first 17 verses. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I, led you with I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you, you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and who, he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building according to the grace of God, given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will dis disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
The work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So says God's word there for us in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 17. As pastors in the United Reformed Churches, our church orders called us as pastors to preach ordinarily from week to week out of the confessions, and that to help to keep the standards of faith before us. So that, uh, in part, so that we don't just go off on our hobby horses and just preach on this or that or the other thing as we so wish, but to keep the truths of the faith in balance and before God's people. And so we do that typically through the Heidelberg Catechism, but from time to time we use other confessions as well that we uphold. And one of them is the Belgian Confession, and we're up to Article 11, and it's a testimony about it's a profession, you see, of the Holy Spirit. And it says there, we believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. And therefore, neither is made, created, nor begotten, but only proceeds from both. Who in order is the third person of the Holy Trinity, of one and the same essence, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, and therefore is the true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. May God's word be truly a blessing to us again this evening, with God's blessing upon him. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, thinking about how the third person of the Trinity is distinct from the other two persons of the Trinity and yet shares equality with them is trying to understand that is, is like trying to understand how each human being is distinct from other persons and yet shares a common humanity of sorts. Now I say that it's similar but it certainly isn't the same because the Spirit, though distinct from the Father and the Son in person is yet one with the Father and the Son as one God. While we're, we're finding ourselves as human beings, we're distinct from each other and yet equal as human beings. But we're many people. We're many humans. Right? And that's not the case as we look at the Holy Spirit and, and His relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, or God the Father and God the Son. And yet our profession of the Holy Spirit doesn't, does recognize that distinction then of the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, yet at the same time recognizes his equality with the Father and the Son as the one true God. As it's the case with our profession of God the Son, so also the profession that we make of God, the Holy Spirit, is one that we make, we say, in accordance with the Holy Scriptures. 
right? Our Christian confession, the, the profession that we make, is, a, is meant to be, is to be, it can't just be any jolly well what we please kind of profession, it needs to be a biblical profession. And that's true whether it has to do with our understanding of the Bible, as we've looked at, our understanding of who God is, our understanding of what sin is, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of the church of Jesus Christ, or the callings of life, or the hope for eternity, our Christian profession needs to be a biblical one. And so tonight, we're seeking to do the same thing as we look at the Holy Spirit. It seeks to be a biblical profession where we're looking at the distinction of the Holy Spirit from the other persons of the Holy Trinity, and also the equality of the Spirit to the other persons. So we, we first of all look at the distinctions of the Holy Spirit from the other persons of the Trinity. The confession focuses on the eternal procession of the Spirit from the Father and the Son. We believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. And again, we don't pull that out of error. That's just something we find true to us in Scripture. Jesus says that the Spirit proceeds from the Father in John 15, 26. And that He sends the Spirit Himself. He speaks of that in John 14, 16, and also in John 15, 26. It isn't then that the Spirit sends the Father, or it's the Spirit who sends the Son. There are different distinctions between the persons, and this is one of them. Right? That the Father and the Son find themselves, the Spirit finds itself proceeding from the Father and the Son. We distinguish the Spirit by His associations. We associate Him with regeneration, where, where we can't fathom, we can't know the mysteries of God and His gospel without the Spirit's work in our hearts. It's one of the reasons why we marvel at the grace of, of, of the Lord, right? Not just that he sends his Son to us, but also that the Spirit of Christ comes to us in our hearts. And such a sending is so transforming, as we saw this morning as well, that Christian individuals come to see in a later chapter in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, verse 18, that they are individual temples of the Spirit who are called then to live accordingly, right? Who are called to live lives that are devoid of defilement in all kinds of ways. Because we are these holy temples individually where the Spirit resides. And that, that same motif, but differently applied, of temple comes through in our past. When the Holy Spirit speaks to church leaders about building upon the foundation of this holy edifice known as the Church of Jesus Christ, the Temple of the Spirit, founded by Jesus. And to do that with materials that are worthy of such a building. Because it's God's building. It's God's temple. And what should be taught there, then, 
has to be fitting for such a sacred structure. Teachings that promote envy and division or simple falsehood are fleshly. They're not spiritual. They're not of the spirit. And they won't stand up in the long run. And they'll make the work of those who built with it meaningless, null and void. It will not build up the temple, and they will not last. And the apostle warns those who lead in the church that, that they're not to be bringing what's false or defiling or what will promote the strife that's taking place. Uh, in the temple of, uh, of the Lord. And he sees that happening. He says they'll barely escape in their spiritual, uh, with their spiritual lives if they take that approach. And that if they seek to destroy the temple of the Lord, founded on Christ, then they will end up destroying themselves. So take care as to what it is that you teach in God's temple, in the church of Jesus Christ. And it should remind, remind us that not everything can, can be tolerated in the church of Jesus Christ then, can it? Because not everything is good. You know, there are things that are gold and silver and precious, and then there's wood, hay, and straw. There's these distinctions that way. Not everything is edifying. Holy fear needs to prevail and reside in the church because the church isn't just some everyday edifice. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So think about that. You think about that individually, but that needs to be thought about corporately as well. Scripture teaches us about other roles that the Spirit plays. His calling is to see to it that Christ's disciples are, are guided in all the truth. To supply what God's people need to serve him with the spiritual gifts that the Spirit provides. Right? We're one in Christ, but he gives a diversity of gifts by way of his Spirit. He's the Spirit who focuses his attention on glorifying the Son by taking of what is Christ and declaring it to his church so that the spotlight is on Christ. And it's not that the Spirit doesn't deserve glory, but what he seeks to do is shine his light in such a way to enable God's people in Christ to bear the Spirit's fruit and in doing so glorify the Father from whom he proceeds. In our passage, the importance of this spirit is that while Paul may plant and Apollos may water, it's God who gives the increase. Not Paul and not Apollos. It is God who's going to see to it that the plant will grow and bear fruit, and those things happen when the Spirit of God takes the word that's proclaimed 
and then transforms and regenerates and renews the hearts of people in order that the church can now exist as the temple of the Spirit, both individually but also corporately. And so for people then, you see, and, and here's the thing that, that Paul's trying to address in a brass tacks kind of way. And he was talking about that earlier already in chapter 1, and he's bringing it up here again. He's, he's saying to people who want to hero worship uh, leaders in Corinth, or who have been in Corinth, or who have had an influence in Corinth, so to speak, Paul or Paulus, he talked about Cephas earlier, he says, it would be no wonder then that that kind of hero worship where you're picking this person, you're picking that person, is going to result in strife, in divisions, and other sinful problems because we're picking sides instead of realizing, as it were, we're on the same team. Instead of glorifying the one from whom all blessings flow. Because he's the one that gives the increase. And we can have that problem today when, when church leaders are put on pedestals, right? That belong only to the Lord. In fact, the apostle says, you know, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants. And he says, he who plants and he who waters, which he says, that's what we did. Uh, that's our job as servants, but but he wants to make the point in, in this passage as well that who am I? We're nothing. We're servants through whom we believe, whom we believed, uh, but we are who we are uh, as God has called us to serve him. I'm looking for that particular verse where it actually says that. And it's, it's, uh, it's eluding me for a moment here. But, oh yeah, here it is, verse 7. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. That's the way he wants it. That's the way church leaders ought to want it. Right? Later in chapter 4, he'll call himself a clay pot. Common clay pot. And he calls himself a servant here. And he says, who are we? Don't, don't worship me. Don't hero worship me. He says, I'm just, God just, God uses me to accomplish his glory by his grace, by his Christ, by his spirit. But in our day, as was the, the danger back then, there, there are leaders on the one hand who want to be the focus of attention. Like it's their show. Or there are members who become so enamored with their leaders in, in that sense that they look at their leaders. Now, of course, the Bible tells us about respect and, and, and to give honor where honors do. But, but people go overboard. Oh, they go overboard. And we hear of such situations too many times, right? Where ministers and members compromise their trust 
oil or leaders that, that have been given unto them. And why do those things happen? It's because ministers abuse that trust and ministers be, and members begin to view their leaders as those who can do no wrong. Who deserve all their attention. Who deserve more than they deserve. And what happens when those things happen? Then the church of Jesus Christ gets a black eye. And the temple gets defiled. And the member-minister relationship gets abused. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? But servants. That's it. They're nothing. They're servants through whom you believed. That God used. Don't give your honor to them in that divine sense. They're nothing. Give your honor to the one to whom it's due. Don't give it to the one who plants. Don't give it to the one who waters. But give it to the God who gives the increase. The Spirit's distinctive work as the Spirit is why we can say God gives the increase. Why we must say that. And you know, when we all do that, when we all do that in true faith, then the spotlight goes where it belongs, right? The honor goes where it belongs. We, we bear the holy fruit that the Lord has called us to bear as the temple of God's Spirit and for God's glory that way. We're not divided. We're focused. We're united. Because our attention is not on our humanity or, or somebody else's humanity, but it's, it's devoted to the God who gives the increase, and particularly here, as God sends his spirit to give the increase in people's lives. Those are about a few of the ways that the spirit distinguishes himself as the third person of the Trinity. But we also profess his equality with the Son and the Father. We talk about the ways in which he's distinguished, but there's also a way we talk about his equality with the Son and the Father. The very passage that we are looking at shows to us the divinity of the Holy Spirit. As does that passage out of 1 Corinthians 6, 18, where it says individually you're God's temple. Here he's talking about how the church corporately, collectively, it's God's temple. But in both places where it's speaking about temples, they're talking about temples where the Holy Spirit resides. And temples are the homes of the divine. And it's in both of those passages where we read that the reason that temples are temples is because they're, they're places where the Holy Spirit dwells. So we see that the Spirit is equal with the Son and the Father that way in terms of His divinity in these passages. And we see that equality in other places, of course. We know that, that like the Father and the Son, the Spirit is what God is. He's personal. He grieves. He teaches. He illumines. He creates. He speaks. 
He searches. He intercedes. God's personal and the Holy Spirit is God in that personal kind of way. We also know that the Spirit is involved, and we touched on that a little bit here when we said that He's a creator. He's involved in creation. And He's also involved in recreating. Isn't He? He was involved in creation, according to Genesis 1 verse 2 and Psalm 33 verse 6. And that the Spirit of God makes life to abound as we sang about that in accordance with Psalm 104. We know that to lie to the Spirit is to lie to God in accordance with Acts 5 verses 3 and 4. You didn't lie to man. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. We also know that blessing comes from the Spirit's communion, just as it comes from the Father's love and the Son's grace. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that one is to be baptized. The very glory of the Lord that filled the tabernacle and temple in days gone by in the Old Testament. That's the very glory that is now seen as the Holy Spirit of Pentecost dwells in his church and in his people as the new temples of God. It's because we are such temples, corporately and individually, that, that we're called a sacred and holy living. If the spirit who resides in his church and in his people was not divine, then who cares how you live? You wouldn't be temples. The church wouldn't be a temple. But we are to care. We're to care with a holy care and a holy fear and holy reverence. God's forgiveness of us in Jesus Christ is not a forgiveness that calls us nor leads us to carelessness. We don't care what we did. It naturally leads us and calls us to careful living, sacred living, holy living, a, a sacrifice and devotion that's well-pleasing to God in worship and in work. And why is that? Because the forgiveness that we get to know in grace comes about because God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling in our hearts or in our lives individually and corporately. And when the Spirit is dwelling in our hearts and in our churches, we don't have the right to live like the devil. We don't have the right to live immorally. We don't have the right to be envious of the other or jealous of the other. We don't have the right to hate one another. We have the right to be united in our common Savior who's anything but common. We don't have the right to despise one another. We don't have the right not when we see that we're temples of the Spirit corporately, individually. And then of course there's, there's no place for pride or, or boasting or snobbishness. That's, like, that's why the Apostle isn't like that. I mean, if there's somebody who had reason to brag, it would have been the apostle, but far from it. He who plants nor he who waters is anything. No place for that. No place to be high and mighty. 
no, no place to put on airs. To be sitting there and, and turning yourself into that, that me monster that's all about yourself. And what you've done and who you are and where you live and how much you have and what others don't have in comparison to me. There's no place for that. To treat others as if, as if you're better than they are. Because, because who are we to think of ourselves in that way before, other, before others when, when any increase that we have, any growth, any sanctity that we may have come to know, any change for the good, any change from the gospel has only come about by the Spirit of the living God. There's no room for credit with me. I am but what I am by grace. So we don't just profess the divinity of, of the Spirit of God so that we can be you know, intellectually correct. But we need to be right in our thinking about that. Of course we do. But we profess the Godhead of the Spirit of God because, also because through Him our lives have been changed. We heard that this morning too, you know, from, from curse to blessing, from an old creature to a new creature. So that we're not just in Adam, but now that we're in, now we're in Christ. We're somebody different than we were before. We were slaves to sin. We were dead in sin. Now we're alive in God. We're alive in Christ. And because of the Spirit of God, we're in the Spirit of Christ, we're, we're called to live in these sanctified lives before the Lord and in our dealings with the Lord and our dealings with others. And if we miss that, well, then we've missed why we profess God the Spirit in the first place. It isn't just so that we can get our intellectual ducks in a row. But it's so we can be spiritually everything that the Lord wants us to be as part of His temple, as part of the church of Jesus Christ. And so as the church of Jesus Christ, we do and we must profess God the Holy Spirit as distinct in person from the Son and the Father, but, but also as equal to them in his person and essence and work. And we can be thankful for who he is, marvel at who he is, marvel at what he's done, because without him, we would know no good thing. Not one. But with him, with him we, we know the fullness of God's blessing in Jesus Christ. Along with the Father and the Son, may the Holy Spirit then receive the praise in our lives and in the church of Jesus Christ forever. Because both in the lives of his people and in the church of Jesus Christ together, the Holy Spirit resides. 
in his temple. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we marvel at who the Holy Spirit is. We marvel at what a difference he makes in us and in your church and the impact that is to have for us as we live our lives, not in dissension and jealousies and strife because we think we're somebody and somebody else isn't. But because we recognize or that we think that somebody else is something and more than somebody else, it, but it, it, it's because we've come to know that your spirit has been at work in us to sanctify us, to transform us, to renew us, to regenerate us, to to make us who you've called us to be in Jesus. And so we don't hero worship those who have been endowed by you in various ways. Well, we know that that's just, a, that's just a recipe for disaster and strife and disharmony and even filthiness and immorality. No, Lord, we, we come in unity and we come in love because we can thank you that though we may have been ministered to in various ways in the church of Jesus Christ by faithful people. We've come to know all these blessings by your spirit as he's taken his word and applied it to our hearts to make us new and to sanctify us each and every day and to live unitedly with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thank you, Father, for who the Spirit is, what He's done. And may it make all the difference, Lord, in the way that we live our lives out each and every day. For the sake of Jesus,